Good morning. Welcome to Grace Life and our online worship experience. And we hope that uh, you are blessed today. Or we're thankful that you could join us uh, for this time of worship. And uh, I'm Pastor Eugene. I'm one of the pastors here. And we hope that, uh, that you are encouraged through our service today. And uh, to begin our service, I'd like to open up with a word of prayer. So if you could join me as we pray. Father, we thank you that you are the ultimate source of peace. We thank you that uh, we can experience life in you. Uh, we thank you for our friends who are joining us today. May they experience you in a powerful way. Lord, would you speak to us during the service, and may you be honored in everything that we do. So we bless you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Our responsive reading comes from Psalm 85, uh, verses 1 through 8. Uh, as you see it on the screen, if you could recite it together. Lord, you poured out your blessing on your land. You restored the fortunes of Israel. You forgave the guilt of your people. Yes, you covered all their sins. You held back your fury. You kept back your blazing anger. Now restore us again, O God of our salvation. Put aside your anger against us once more. Will you be angry with us always? Will you prolong your wrath to all generations? Won't you revive us again so your people can rejoice in you? Show us your unfailing love, O Lord, and grant us your salvation. I listen carefully to what God the Lord is saying, for he speaks peace to his faithful people. We believe it's so important to connect with God through prayer. And so at this time, I'd like to lead us into um, a time of prayer where we can pray for our nation, we can pray for our government officials, where we can pray for our community, our church, our families. But let's also pray for those who are sick and ill and ask the Lord to um, bless them and to heal them. And let's just begin to lift up all the different situations uh, in our lives that, uh, that we want the Lord to really address and touch. And so let's begin to spend this time in prayer. Well, good morning. Over the last several weeks, we've been in a study based out of Galatians chapter 5, the fruit of the Spirit. And if you've been keeping track, we've covered so far the fruit of love, joy, patience, kindness, gentleness, and goodness. This week, I want to look at the fruit of peace together. Jesus said in John fourteen twenty seven, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. What exactly is this peace that Jesus came to give us? Well, we know from Jesus' words that it's not what the world thinks peace is. The world's version of peace is usually an absence of trouble or difficulties. It's the way I typically think of peace when I'm stuck in rush hour traffic in Los Angeles, wishing I sometimes lived in the middle of nowhere in Nebraska or something, fantasizing that if I just lived out in a cornfield, that I wouldn't have to deal with the stress of L.A. traffic. But that's just an avoidance of problems. That's not the peace the way the Bible speaks of peace. You see, the, the way the Bible speaks of peace is it's not a stoicism or an apathy. You know, sometimes we just don't want to be bothered. Nothing affects us because we just stop caring about things and the people around us. Well, that's not peace either, because peace that is genuine, peace that is a fruit of the Spirit, will be accompanied by other aspects of the fruit of the Spirit, like love and, and joy and patience and goodness and kindness. So just being emotionally detached and stoic about your circumstances that's not true peace either. You see, the biblical definition of peace 
The peace that Jesus came to give us is this, if you're taking notes. It's a confidence and trust in God's good and wise control over our lives. Let me say that again. The peace that Jesus came to give us is a confidence and trust in God's good and wise control over our lives. Last week, Pastor Eugene preached powerfully on the goodness of God. Well, peace is a result of trusting in the goodness and wisdom of God over our lives. It's one thing to know God is good. It's another to have a deep, abiding confidence and a trust in God's goodness. The result of that kind of trust is confidence and it's peace. Now, the million-dollar question is, why is biblical peace so elusive? Why is it so hard to acquire and so hard to keep when we have it? The reason is we're constantly dealing with the temptation to be anxious and worried rather than to trust in God. The enemy of peace is anxiety and it's worry. So in order to talk about peace in a practical way today, we need to learn to overcome the temptation of anxiety and worry in our lives. Jesus gives us a lot of help in our scripture passage today out of Matthew 6, 25 to 34. He begins by saying, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? See, Jesus commands us, do not be anxious. Notice, this isn't a suggestion or recommendation, but it's a command. Do not be anxious. This must be something he takes very seriously if he makes it an actual command. This phrase, do not be anxious, includes the idea of stopping what is already being done. In other words, we are to stop worrying and never to start picking up worrying again. The example Jesus uses here is food and drink and clothing. Now, to our modern ears, this doesn't seem particularly relevant because for the most part, we don't worry about where we're going to get our next meal or find water or whether we'll have the right kind of clothing to wear. Instead, we may worry about where we're going to order Postmates or what shirt in our wardrobe matches our pants. However, in Jesus' day, food, water, clothing, these were very real concerns for people, especially the poor. And of course, we know that these are still real concerns for the poor today as well, both in our country and in countries around the world. You may be thinking that since you don't worry about these necessities, this passage doesn't apply to you. Well, it's actually just the opposite. I mean, if Jesus told his followers not to worry even about the absolute necessities of life, how much more so should we, who have all of these necessities taken care of, not be anxious about our lives. You see, when Jesus says, do not be anxious about your life, that word life, the Greek word for that, it's all-inclusive. It's a term that's comprehensive, that encompasses all of a person's being, physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual. Jesus is really challenging us here. He's saying no aspect of our lives, whether it's internal or external, justifies us being anxious when we have him as Lord. Jesus knows just how destructive anxiety and worry can be in our lives. In fact, the English term worry actually comes from an old German word, which means to strangle or to choke. This reminds me of Jesus' parable of the sower, where he talks about the cares or worries of the world, choking out the word of God planted in our lives and making us unfruitful. 
Now, it's been reported that a dense fog big enough to cover seven city blocks 100 feet deep is composed of less than one glass of water, but divided into 60,000 million droplets. So in the right form, a few gallons of water can cripple a large city with fog. You see, worry works in a similar way. Take something small and it expands it into something massive in our minds. And now because of worry, our minds are clouded and foggy and unable to see clearly the goodness of God in our lives. Jesus teaches us here in this teaching that the remedy to worry is reminding ourselves that God is our Heavenly Father. He says, beginning in verse 26, Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your Heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? I picture as Jesus is giving his Sermon on the Mount, that he looks up at the sky and points out some passing bird as an object lesson. Now, when Jesus pointed out that the birds neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, he was not saying that we should all just quit our jobs, spend our money unwisely, and forget about any kind of form of savings. We know from the book of Proverbs and elsewhere in Scripture that we're called to be diligent in our work. We're called to work hard, be good stewards, provide for our families, and to be generous with our finances, especially towards God's kingdom purposes. But here's the key. We're called by Jesus to do these things without stress and without worry. See, God wants you to be blessed in your career. He wants you to be blessed in your family life, but not to be stressed out about it. Ultimately, our supply does not come from our job or our career, but from our Heavenly Father who feeds the birds of the air. He is the source of our supply and our provision. Notice Jesus doesn't say about the birds of the air that my Heavenly Father feeds them, but he purposely says, your Heavenly Father. This is an important part of Jesus' teaching here that we have to get a hold of. You see, for the Jewish people, the idea of God being their Father was a foreign concept. They knew God was Yahweh, the Lord, or Elohim, the all-powerful Creator, but not as loving and affectionate a caring Heavenly Father. But Jesus came to reveal the Heavenly Father to us, that he wasn't just a powerful God, but also a Father who loves us intimately. He says to us that if God our Father takes care of these lowly birds with such care, are you not of more value than they are? You know, somewhat of a rhetorical question. We all know that the answer is yes, but how often have we truly stopped to meditate on this amazing truth. So the question remains, what is our value? How much are we worth to God the Father? Well, generally, how much someone is willing to pay for something determines its worth. A piece of art may only cost a few dollars to make between the cost of the canvas and the paint, but because the art was painted by Jackson Pollock or Mark Rothko, a collector may pay several million dollars for that painting. So the amount of something is what someone is willing to pay for that item. That's what determines its worth. Well, what was the price that God the Father was willing to pay to purchase your forgiveness and your salvation? The Bible tells us that God the Father did not spare anything. In fact, he willingly gave us his son, Jesus Christ, to pay the penalty for our sins so that we could be adopted into God's family 
and call him our Heavenly Father. We were once enemies of God, but while we were still sinners and enemies, Jesus died for us so that we can have peace with God as his sons and his daughters. And if we are his sons and his daughters at peace with God, then we also have available to us the peace of God. Did you catch that? Because we are at peace with God, we can also have the peace of God. Jesus continues in verse 27 with another illustration. He says, Which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to a span of life? Well, the second illustration has to do with life expectancy. You see, we live in a culture that's obsessed with trying to lengthen life. We exercise, we try to eat carefully, some of us take supplements, we go to the doctor regularly for checkups, we do countless other things, just trying to add a few more years to our lives. Now, none of these are bad things, don't get me wrong, these are all good things. We all want to live quality, healthy, productive lives. We all want to be there one day for our grandchildren, God willing. However, what Jesus is pointing out here is that anxiety about our lives cannot add a single hour to our lifespan. In fact, stress and worry can actually shorten our lives. Dr. Charles Mayo of the famous Mayo Clinic wrote, Worry affects the circulation, the heart, the glands, the whole nervous system. I have never met a man or known a man to die of overwork, but I have known a lot who died of worry. You see, the antidote to worry is to recognize that our lives are a gift from God to be used for his purposes, and our lives ultimately are in his hands and in his care. So while we may live in a world that's paralyzed by fear of sickness and death today, we can still point people to a hope that's beyond this life, a hope that can only be found in Jesus. Jesus continues in verse 28. He says, Why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? O you of little faith. Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your Heavenly Father knows that you need them all. You see, Jesus here uses another illustration from nature to teach us not to worry. If God bothers to array the grass of the field with beautiful but short-lived flowers, how much more is he concerned to clothe and care for his very own children who are destined for eternal life? You know, Jesus says of us, when we are anxious... He says, Oh, you of little faith. Why does Jesus care so much about whether we worry or are anxious? Isn't it reasonable to worry about our lives, to worry about our livelihood? The reason Jesus teaches so strongly about worry and against anxiety is because worry declares that our Heavenly Father is untrustworthy, that His Word is untrustworthy, and His promises are untrustworthy. Worry demonstrates that we're mastered more by our circumstances and our own limited understanding rather than by trusting in God's word. Isaiah 26.3 says, You keep him in perfect peace 
whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. You see, worry can be a destructive cycle. When we're not regularly feasting and meditating on God's word, allowing his word to saturate our mind, then Satan can move into that vacuum and begin to plant seeds of worry into our hearts. Worry then pushes God even further from our minds, and this destructive cycle continues on. Well, the way to break this vicious cycle of anxiety and worry is according to Jesus, found in verse 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. You know, there's a beautiful single-mindedness to the Christian life that I just really love and appreciate. You know, we may be worried about many things, but the remedy is not to have all these things figured out in our lives before we let go of worry, but simply to seek first the kingdom of God. You may remember when Jesus was at the home of Mary and Martha. Martha was busy and worried about many things, but Mary sat at the feet of Jesus, listening to the teachings of Jesus. And Jesus said to Mary, you've chosen the better part. You see, Jesus' promise to us is that when we make pursuing closeness with him our priority, then all the things we need will be provided to us by our Heavenly Father. I want to close today with one very practical way for us to handle our anxieties and our worries. It's given to us in Philippians 4, verses 6 to 7. If you would just turn there with me. It says this, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So according to Paul in Philippians 4, where do we get peace from? Well, we know prayer is the antidote to worry and it's a cure for anxiety. But according to Paul, it's not just any prayer. Here's the key. You and I need to react to our problems, not just with prayer, but with thankful prayer. The key to having the peace of God in our lives that transcends understanding is not simply to take our problems to God in prayer, but to do so with thanksgiving. That's the key. The key is to thank God before you make a request, because when you do so, when you give your request to God in thanksgiving, you're saying to the Lord, God, I know that you're good. And whatever you do in response to this request is good. And I want to thank you for this. And so we begin to lay our problems. We begin to lay our burdens. We begin to lay our circumstances at the throne of God with thanksgiving, trusting that he is good, trusting that his answers, his timing, his provision is also going to be good. And so we we begin to thank God in prayers of thanksgiving, in response to our anxieties and our worries, we begin to experience the peace of God that transcends understanding. And so I want to invite you today to, to take the words of Jesus to heart. Do not be anxious about your life. You have a heavenly Father who cares for you, who loves you, who wants to provide for you. Seek first his kingdom today. Go ahead and give your burdens, give your worries, give your problems to God with a prayer of thanksgiving, trusting him for the answers, trusting him for his timing, for your circumstances. So I want to invite you to go ahead and 
Would you pray with me today? Just begin to give God your burdens and begin to let his peace wash over your heart. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you, Lord, for the peace of God that's the fruit of the Spirit. Lord God, we know that as we seek first the kingdom of God, as we go to you in prayer, not just any prayer, but the prayer of thanksgiving for our circumstances and our struggles and our problems and our trials, God, we thank you because you're good. We thank you because you have a purpose and a plan for these things that we're going through. And we give them to you, God. Lord, replace our worries, replace our anxiety with your peace that transcends all understanding, the peace of God that comes from the fruit of the Spirit. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Mike, for that great message on peace, that we can, uh, in God, not be anxious about anything. And so uh, we want to keep that and hold that in our hearts this week. Before you go, I just want to let you know of a few things. If you're new, uh, please let us know that you're here and joined us. And if you could text NEW uh, to the number on your screen, uh, that helps us get in touch with you. And uh, we just want to say hello. And so we want to encourage you to do that. Uh, Also, if you need prayer, uh, we would love to pray for you. And you can uh, text PRAY to that same number. And uh, we would love to, to pray for you if you have any prayer requests. And uh, we, we've seen God really answer prayers during this time, especially in the season of COVID. And so uh, don't be shy to, to share your prayer requests with us. And finally, every Saturday morning, we have our prayer meetings, corporate prayer meetings, and it's called 714, based on Second Chronicles 714. And so we invite you to join us and pray together. Uh, we have a, a great community of people who are like-minded and want to see God move in our, our church and in our community and so uh, why don't you join us and, uh, in prayer for 714. And now here is the benediction. Take it all. I'll trade my fear for your peace.